What a great week it has been. I have, um, who enjoyed fasting this week? Who, uh, that's good. That's good. Not many people say they enjoy fasting. That's great. But um, this week's been good. A little personal thing for me this week. I, um, I remembered that God loves me. Isn't that nice? God loves me. Not like an all-inclusive, everyone gets it kind of love, because we do. But he loves me. And he likes me. What a kind and wonderful God. How good is that? And I just, if you haven't remembered that or felt that for a while, I just pray that the revelation I got again I just pray that waves of his love would just wash over you as we just speak this morning and that you would know that he's kind and good and loves you. Well, uh, it's an honour to bring the vision to you this morning and uh, it's not something I've taken lightly. Anyone that's been around me for the last few months knows that I've been praying into this and we've been, the team's been speaking about it and Near the end of 2014, as you would know uh, now because it's 2016, um, Pam and I began speaking about the vision for 2015 and and we both, as you now know, uh, believed that it was to be the church and what great things, that even just that short list of things that Pam read out of the wonderful things God did last year. Um, it was amazing, and we just so felt God to say, come on, we need to transform our mind where people stop thinking about that they go to church, but that they are the church. And uh, asking us, we felt God was asking us to explore the idea of what being the church actually looks like. And I think just those snippets of those stories gives us a, a beautiful glimpse of what maybe Jesus imagined that we would actually care about people and that we'd care enough to meet together and keep each other accountable and and we'd reach out to people who aren't in our world but know that they need Jesus. And we've been asking God to allow um, him to transform our minds and our hearts to understand that we're the bride of Christ, that we sang about it this morning, that Jesus is coming back for us, not for the buildings or the programs, but for you and me. He's coming back for the church. And uh, so we've even tried to make sure that our language is around that, that we wouldn't talk about, oh, the church. But if we ever talk about the church, we're actually talking about us. I've got a problem with the church. No, you've got a problem with yourself because we're the church. We are the church, not a building or programs. And I love the way Robert Ferguson actually talks about the church. He wrote a beautiful poem about it, and this is just a a snapshot. But he says, She's the plan of God on earth, always in her Father's eye, cherished, mysterious, beautiful, and potent beyond measure, king-empowered and life-infused. She merges triumphant, limitless with potential, a harbour for the hopeless, and an answer for the ages, the church resplendent, a bride for his son. That's you and me, church. That's us. What an incredible privilege we have. And Pem touched on it before, but as we began to 
talk around this. It usually happens around October. We start praying and talking around, well, what's next? What's next? And we really felt God pressing that you've only just begun. You have only just begun. It's almost like you're just scraping the surface of what it means to be the church. And uh, as if to say, there's more church. There's more, my sons and my daughters. There's more. There's, there, you can get closer and you can get deeper and wider in him. And, and, and asking us to ask, well, what if there's more? And what, if it looks, what does it look like? What if it's, the church is greater than we've ever known? What if it's bigger than we ever thought? And what if we really allowed Christ to live and rule and breathe within us? And what if he wants to be more intimate with you than he ever has before? I believe he does because he's so big and so wide and I feel like he is calling us like a personal call. I don't think it's uh, a mistake that God reminded me that he loves me this week because he loves you and I pray that you would get that revelation this morning if you've never known that. But to open our eyes to the wonder of a relationship with him. He's wonderful. And so I believe that we're still in the season that God's teaching us to be the church. But the calling is for more. So what does that look like in 2016 for us as a group of believers? Well, uh, if Jesus were here this morning... And he is, but I mean, if Jesus was speaking this morning, gee, it'd be packed, wouldn't it? But um, if Jesus was speaking this morning and he got up on stage and he uh, gave Cam a little head nod, like, start the PowerPoint presentation. And, uh, and the first title came up, The Reason You're Here. I guarantee every one of us would have our notebooks out. We would just, we'd be on the edge of our seat waiting to hear what Jesus had to say. Why are we here? Why are we here? But uh, he's not, not that he's let me know or he's not going to turn up and talk. So you've got me this morning. But we get, we get the privilege to actually listen in by reading the Bible He's already preached this sermon to his disciples before. And so you and I can, can actually look at that sermon where he says, let me tell you why you're here. And we find that in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. It'll be on the screens. And he says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? And you've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. We get to listen to the sermon where he says, let me tell you why you're here. It's to be salt and light. 
And what was Jesus doing here? He was simplifying the mission. He said, let's just make it simple. Listen to the language he uses. He uses everyday items that these disciples would know. Salt. He had to bring out the flavour and preserve the goodness in society. Light. Shine in those dark places where people have no glimpse of hope. Shine there. He was simplifying the mission for them. He did this when he was asked about the commandments in John 13, 34. He says, well, let me, let me give you a new commandment. Just love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. Could I just side note suggest that people may not be seeing the salt and light in you because of the way you speak about your brothers and sisters in Christ. They'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. And Jesus simplified things. While uh, Luke and I were away at Christmas time, tough life in Hawaii, North Shore. And uh, it's so quiet there on the North Shore. And I had such... um, great times of just sitting and reading and praying and praying about 2016 and just praying about the vision and I just kept getting this one word and it was simplify, just simplify and if I'm honest with you, everything within me wanted more, I wanted more than that God, I don't know if it was pride or fear but I wanted more. And I kept thinking, okay, yeah, I got that God, but what, what is it? What, what's the vision? What, 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 I need more than that. Simplify. That's silly. More, please. How could I go back to the church and go, you know what? The vision for the year is just simplify. And, and, but that's all he gave me. As Jesus did to his disciples, let me make it simple for you. It's salt and light. Just simplify. And as I, uh, Luke and I took a walk, one romantic walk along the beach. But Luke and I took a walk one afternoon and I'd been sitting there reading and writing. And, and we just decided to go for a walk. And, and Luke just was like, what's God sharing? What's he saying? And I just shared it. And um, <laughs> you're a good husband, Luke. <laughs> anyway, and I realized, <laughs> and, um, and we're just walking along the beach and I was just sharing this simple, simple vision. And I realized that I'd been conversing with an incomprehensible God where I could see an ocean and I could never, ever dream of finding the end of it. And I was walking up along the sand that I could not even, in my wildest dreams, try and count the grains. And yet this incomprehensible God came down to meet me and gave me terms that I could understand so I could serve him for the rest of my life. And he just made it simple. Just be salt and just be light. 
And this is what Jesus does. He comes down to our level. He doesn't lord it over us and said, well, make your own way here. He made a way for us to come to him. And in Matthew, we notice um, just where this scripture comes from. It says that Jesus noticed that his ministry was drawing a large number of people. There were thousands of people drawing there. And it was at that moment he took time to steal away the, the 12 and just teach them about this. Let me tell you why you're here. It's, uh, it's interesting that he didn't stand there and give it to the thousands, but he took the 12 away. And I think he was saying to them, although you, you might get a lot of people, it doesn't matter how many people your ministry brings, the mission stays the same. And I believe that that's what God is saying to us this morning as we steal this moment together, that it doesn't matter how many people walk through those doors, glory to God, and by the grace of God, they come through those doors, but the mission stays the same. It won't ever change from salt and light. It won't change to, well, how efficiently can we do this and how slick can we do that? It always remains salt and light. But why do we complicate it? We complicate it, don't we? We complicate it. I believe we complicate it because sometimes it's easier to live out of routine rather than relationship. Out of our duty, not devotion. The routine of our God-sponsored projects, as Amos says it, rather than living out of authentic relationship with him. And the temptation is to busy ourselves with God-themed events in place of God connection. Donald Miller uh, puts it like this. One of the greatest tricks of the devil is not to get us into some sort of evil, but rather to have us wasting time. This is why the devil tries so hard to get Christians to be religious. If he can sink a man's mind into habit, he'll prevent his heart from engaging God. If he can sink a man's mind into habit, he'll prevent his heart from engaging God. Why does the devil do this? I believe that he knows if our hearts don't continually engage with the heart of God that we won't reflect him. If we don't reflect him and yet we say to the world we're a Christian, then they get a distorted image of God. Rather than reflecting the transforming light and love of the Father, we display a lifestyle based on a good set of morals which may be useful in this life but void of any power to impact eternity. Oh, church... He wants to be so close. 2 Timothy 3.5 puts it like this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And I believe uh, it's a trap maybe of the Western church today that we become church attenders and not Christ followers. 
And I'm not saying for one moment that uh, we need to disregard church attendance. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Church attendance is great and it's biblical for worship together, for encouragement, instruction and learning, but it cannot be a substitute for a life that follows Jesus. Living in that beautiful response to the Father. Jesus was giving his disciples and he's still giving us, his disciples, you and me, the reasons for our lives. He's saying you're here to be soul. You're here to be light, to bring out the God flavors in the world and to bring light in dark places. And this is for the rest of our lives. I believe there's such a call for authentic relationship with him. The world needs it. They can see through religion. It doesn't change anyone. The fact that I can go to five church things in a week doesn't change someone, but that I can lavishly love on them without judgment, that changes people. Bringing hope and light. In the book of Exodus, we see the incredible story of Moses where he climbed Mount Sinai. This guy was amazing. He was, I think he was around about 80 at this stage and he did two 40-day full fasts on his way up to meet with God. Whew. And, uh, and it said it was on his own. His, the other climbers came about halfway, but he went on his own to meet with God. And he'd silenced the noise. And his heart was, his prayer was, oh, show me your face. Show me your face. And it says when he came down off Mount Sinai, his face shone. It's, imagine that. That would be wonderful. Um, his face was absolutely shining to the point he had to put a veil on. And there's the uh, theologian Spurgeon writes about this. But just for a moment, a moment imagine what it would be like to be that close with God that your whole countenance shines. That would be a beauty product's dream. But this guy hadn't eaten for over 40 days twice. I don't know how many days were in between. But he came off that mountain and where he could have and should have looked haggard, he shone. And Spurgeon writes about it like this. He says, Moses spoke with God face to face as a man speaks with his friends, as a man speaks with his friend, and this made his countenance glow. As the sun shining upon a reflector has its light thrown back, often in the most brilliant fashion, so that the reflector looks like a minor sun, so it was with the face of Moses when it reflected the glory of the Lord. The face of Moses was to God what the moon is to the sun. A saint shines on men when God has shone on him. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the presence of the Lord. 
Would you shine in the valley? First, go up the mountain and commune with God. Would you shine, my brothers and sisters, with superior radiance? Then let this be your fervent prayer. Make your face shine upon your servant. If the Lord lifts upon you the light of his countenance, there will be no lack of light in your countenance. In God's light, you shall live. The light on the face of Moses was the result of a fellowship with God. If we're ever to be salt and light, church, can I please tell you it's not in our own strength. It will never, ever, we cannot will ourselves to be salt and light. We aren't good enough. We're not good enough only by us coming and climbing the mountain of communion with God where we meet with Him can we shine in the valley. We will never ever do this out of manpower, out of programs or things like that. We must meet with God personally, not just corporately, personally where we silence the world and we just come away with just God and we gaze upon the beauty of our Father. If you can imagine when Jesus was teaching the disciples, I imagine they would have sat probably in the circle or he might have sat on a rock. But I have no doubt they would have been looking at him. And it paints the perfect picture for us. Jesus gave the command, be salt and light. And we need to be keeping our eyes fixed on his face. Spurgeon went on and said this. Thus you see the face of Moses shone because he had longed to look upon the face of God. I would have you note that this uh, communion with God includes intense intercession for people. You've got to love people. God will not have fellowship with our selfishness. Moses came out of himself and became an intense pleader for the people. And thus he became like the son of God and the glory descended on him. Church today, I don't wanna stand here and say, let's be salt and light so everyone can say how shiny North Lakes is. It is not for that. It's not so people can go, did you see what they've done? They're so salty and so shiny over there. Let's go to the shiny church. The reason, the reason that Moses got to that position was because he wasn't going for selfish ambition. He went on behalf of people. And there's only two places in the Bible where it records people's faces shining. One was Moses, one was Stephen. And both of them cried out, not for me, Lord, but for the mercy of the people around me. We must have a heart, not just because we want to establish the best church, but we want to establish the glory and grace and mercy of God on this earth. And we need to shine and preserve goodness and bring hope because we have a problem. Humanity has got a problem. It's dying and families are being torn apart and depression's going through the roof and crime and wars and there is darkness all around. The humanity has a problem. And when God looked at it, he didn't freak out. He said, I've got a plan and it's you and me. He didn't worry about that. He just said, okay, here's the plan. Shine, shine. That 
that humanity problem, that sin problem, I've got it covered. I will put my spirit in every single one of my believers and they can go out on all the earth and they can shine. The church is the answer of the world. That is the way God designed it. But if we don't function in the way that he envisioned, we will never do what he's called us to do. We need to shine. And as the earth cries out for its saviour, God cries out for his church. Will you shine? We've got one more video before I finish up today. And it's an incredible story of Ian and Sandy. And I love this. It goes for a couple of minutes, but I pray that you would uh, just open your heart to hear their story. I'm Sandra, and this is Ian, and we work together. We've worked together now for three years at Health Pathways, writing medical uh, internet-based information for GPs. So I'm going to tell you about how we came to be in church together um, and not just working together. And I'll just preface what I'm going to say by, in the course of the last 40 years at work, I've really, really rarely asked anyone to, to come along to church because I've basically... Um, I would say I've never done that, but I've really separated the workplace from from um, using you know my, any any sense of power or opportunity to try and uh, proselytise people. But at work, uh, in this case, at work, um, I just the Holy Spirit really spoke to me and uh, told me in, it, it quite uh, unequivocally that I had to try and make a connection with Sandra. Um, Sandra's a, a really, uh, in workplace, she's really smart, she does, she does, she's a great health pathway writer, but at the time, prior to me inviting her to the church, I could just see that she was, uh, she wasn't happy, and, uh, and she had some stuff going on, and I really felt convicted that, um, that there was an answer for her, and that answer would be found, um, in a relationship with Jesus. And so I had to overcome my reluctance um, to actually uh, step out and sort of and give her, give Sandra a card to invite her to Alpha. And I really, I, I didn't want to do that because I kind of thought, what if she just throws her back at me or what if she wakes me, you know? And, uh, that has never I, happened, ever. Yeah, no. And uh, so I did that and uh, I'm going to um, hand it over to Sandra and tell you what happened from there. So Ian gave me this card and I looked at this card and I thought, mm, mm, this seems very God-bothery because I am a devout atheist as many people knew, was, was a devout atheist and I made no secret of that fact the first night at Alpha sitting there listening to all these stories thinking, mm, that doesn't really resonate with my atheism, um, my heathenism I think I called it. But you know, after the first night, I, I, I remember when I got the card thinking, well, first I thought, whatever. And then I thought, well, actually, you know, what have I got to lose at this point? You know, my life isn't going in the direction I wanted. I'm not being the mother I wanted to be. I'm not being the wife I wanted to be. I probably wasn't being the colleague anyone wanted me to be. Oh, I <laughs> And I remember she now... Used to, she used to bash the... I, I, I used to worry about the keyboard sometimes. <laughs> and I tell you what, after, after I'd been coming to church for a while and after I'd had this... Epiphany after epiphany after epiphany, everyone at work just said, Wow, what has changed? You know, you used to be so angry, so you know, 
so I probably wasn't the colleague that anybody wanted to be around. And and so I went along to Alpha. I, well, I, I said to Matt, I said, Matt, what do you reckon? Should we get a babysitter and should we go along and suck it and see? And Matt said, sure, because Matt's like that. Matt will say sure to anything. He is just wonderful like that. So we went along and we got in the car afterwards and went, oh yeah, bits of that made a lot of sense. Should we go back next week? And we, we thought together, well yeah, why not? We've got a babysitter, we've got a child-free night, let's give it another go. The food was pretty nice, the company was okay. And we went along the second week and it really was a really solid alpha session and it all just seemed to gel and, and I just, I, I felt myself filling with something I'd never been filled with before. And then we went along to church and I, I had a bit of a hard time selling it to my family and Matt happened to be away this particular night and it was night church so I said to the girls, because they really like Ian, who doesn't like Ian? We, we went along and I said to the girls, how about we go and listen to Ian's boys, they're in a band tonight, <laughs> let's go and listen to some music. <laughs> so we went along and we sat in the front row and the girls thought, oh yeah, that's pretty good. But I sat there with tears just pouring down my face, feeling, now I know, filled with the Holy Spirit and it was just the most mm. wonderful, wonderful moment and I haven't looked back. Now if I ask myself the question, what would have happened if I hadn't have listened to the Holy Spirit and given that invitation to Sandra? Um, I kind of, I suppose I can answer that best if I'm really honest. I would ask myself, how come I haven't done that before? How come I haven't had the, the ticker to do that in a lot of other situations? Because if I really think about it, there's probably other situations where I haven't responded like that. So if I'm honest, as I, as I talk to you this morning, I want to make sure, I guess I want to make sure that it doesn't happen again. If the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, go here or go there or say this or say that. I want to make sure that I'm responsive because the living proof of what happens when I respond like that is sitting next to me right now. So a couple of months after all of this, I was sitting in church and I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was, but there was a beautiful message about walking across the room. And I sat there and I, I realised that's exactly what Ian had done, not only for me, but for my husband and my girls, for our whole family. He walked across the room and he had made such an amazing change in our family through that crossing by, by introducing us to Jesus and bringing Jesus into our lives and, and the Holy Spirit and all the peace and joy and gentleness and kindness and compassion that comes along with that. And, and I now feel so filled with that that I feel I can, I can now make that walk across the room and I can go and you know sh share that love and joy with other people and I think certainly in our workplace where we talk about it a lot and I think we're making connections with other people in the workplace and I know there are people on the verge of coming along to to North, Northies to, to join in the fun with us and I know that there's friends of mine that have come so it's just a really beautiful ripple effect that becomes a wave of just complete and utter fabulousness. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> I love that. 
Pam mentioned these before. And in my, in keeping with simplify, there is no 10 step. We're going to go to this and then that and then this and then maybe you can shine God's light. If you have Jesus in your heart, you can shine. And this is just the most simple, simple tool where we want you to prayerfully consider how you can connect in with a small group this year. Really, really, even if that makes you feel Oh, I, haven't, I don't do that really. We're actually trying to really put, clear out our calendar and really make time for just two weeks of the month that this is life group week and this is life group week. We connect in with our small groups so we can stay accountable and stay growing. And you saw Jesus do it. He had the large group, small group, and they went out. And this is all we're going to do. We want to connect in and make a commitment to connect in with a group of believers. It doesn't matter if they're 40 years older than you. Because we're all on this journey together. We can learn from the mums and the dads and the aunties and the uncles. And some people need kids and some people need brothers and sisters. And that's the way it's intended. And then there's a, there's a small spot down the bottom that says connect to really asking that you would prayerfully consider who you can intentionally connect to outside of this, totally outside of these walls, into a dark place where you can bring hope and light. I really ask that you'd prayerfully consider that. Connect in and connect to. Be salt, be light. Does that sound easy? Well, it's not, no. <laughs> By God's grace, honestly, if we climb that mountain of communion and take the biblical terminology out of that, if we make time, there was a time that Luke and I went to pray this week together and we had two laptops open, two phones, there was a TV and we just looked at ourselves and went, it's pretty noisy. Deliberately make time to shut the screens, turn off the phone, open the Bible, pray with him, get together with someone. If you don't know how to pray, this is the wonderful thing about life groups. You could be sitting with five people and you could go, could someone teach me how to pray? I'm really struggling with this. And really make time to connect with him so you can shine. Because we've got a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but we have a cloud of witnesses in heaven standing above us us going, come on, you can do it. The hope of the world is in you. Eternity depends on it. Come on. And the Bible says our life is like a breath. And in a breath's time, will, by God's grace, be standing over going, come on! And we too will cheer on the saints to bring the hope of Jesus to the world. Because the reality is every single one of us will stand face to face with our Father one day. 
not all together, just on our own. And that's not meant to be scary. He's a kind and beautiful and loving father, but he will ask a question of what did you do with what I gave you? With that salt and that light and that hope and that Jesus, what did you do with that? And by the grace of God, I pray that we can say, oh, dad, (laughs) I showed you grace. I shone your light. I tried to bring out the salty parts of the world and I tried to bring out the God colours of the world only when I was looking at you though. I didn't squander your gift. Just to finish this morning as the band would come, I just want to finish with a quote by that courageous William Booth. And he says this, Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Because put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, the agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. And then go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come here. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. In the march to publish God's mercy to the world.